Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And we are recording uh, remote. That's the word. I almost could not think of that word. Um, I was going to say separate and like far <laughs> apart and separated because you don't love me anymore. But no, it's actually because it's late at night for us and we're babies and didn't want to put on real clothes to record. Yeah, like... TMI time. But once I take a bra off for the day, it's I'm done. No, that's legit. It's over. And I feel like a large portion of our audience is going to understand that just based on the demographics that I see when I pull up our data. That's fair. All right. So what is our cart pool? Or I guess nope. How does this yep. work? How do our we episodes with, work? We start with beverages. What are we? Amanda. <laughs> What are you um, drinking, Amanda? So surprisingly, given how I just completely forgot what our episode format is, I am drinking some spearmint tea. Ooh, that sounds really good. It just felt right for tonight. It, you know, it's starting to rain. A little bit of spearmint tea might have a hot chocolate after this. I don't know. Ooh, we'll see where good. the night takes me. I live a wild life. You do. You do. I was actually going to do my lemon ginger tea that apparently has probiotics in it. Though how those little bacteria survive being dunked into boiling water, I don't know. Are they are they extremophiles? I, no. Science people who listen to us. Do do my bacterial friends survive the dunk in the hot waters? I would have to assume it is just marketing BS, much like the tea bags that label themselves kombucha. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I am not drinking that tea because I decided I have, I keep telling myself I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight and then I don't have a glass of wine. So tonight I have a glass of boxed red wine from Target because that's what was available. Like a real responsible pour of red wine, at least from this angle on the video. It's not. <laughs> it's a healthy pour. You can't call it a Mary tea pour though because those are only for bourbon. It's true. Those are only for bourbon, uh, which I'm so glad that people uh, appreciated our bourbon tangent. Uh, I am too. I feel like in the food episode. I, Amanda, we have to take a a field trip for the podcast. This is it's for content. It's not because I'm an alcoholic. Uh huh. Did I tell you about last weekend with my niece and nephew? No. I am such an alcoholic, Amanda. We we had the kids over with their their parents and mm -hmm. my mother in law, and we're like, oh, let's order chilies for for lunch. That'll be great. You know, it's right down the street from us. And with the kids' meals, the kids both got apple juice. Right. Yeah. So I go with my mother in law to pick up all of our food because there, there's a lot of us. And the person coming to the curbside delivery has two drinks in the drink tray like they should and i'm looking at it going who ordered bourbon it's like apple juice now in my defense there was ice uh, in the apple juice you don't typically drink apple juice on the rocks 
I no, I know. I was not proud of myself. Oh my god. But it's really funny, so I don't mind telling the story. Oh, oh that's fantastic. Yeah. That's that's the best thing I've heard all day. When the I kids are older, that. I will tell them that story and they will be like, Wow, Aunt Corinne, you're a lush. And I'll be like, Yep, you're right. You'll say, Yes, Aunt. Mm -hmm. It's like you all are just now realizing that. All right. Uh, so I do remember what happens next in our podcast now. Swearsies. What is our card pool? So I decided because I know the theme of our episode, even if our listeners don't yet, mm -hmm. uh, that the Rebel deck was going to be an appropriate pull. <laughs> yes. Because it's very cheeky. And I don't know which of us this card is yelling at. It might be both of us. Oh, oh, fun. Time to let go. Move the fuck on. Hey. Uh, Rebel deck, fuck you. Uh-huh. I, like I said, I literally, I pulled it. I was like, I don't know which of us is getting yelled at right now, but I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, oh, good times. Good so times. Of, of cheeky things. What's our topic, Amanda? Yes, I am excited about this one and also going to hell. So <laughs> Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh so our topic we are going back to trickster figures. I love this so much and I broke the rules. Oh, a little bit. And I am not strictly staying in North America. That's but fine. given the wave of uh, just absolutely draconian uh, legislation going through mm -hmm. the American court systems right now, I figured that I would examine the role of the trickster figure in Christian mythology and folklore. Ooh. It felt appropriate. I'm very here for this and that's okay because i actually do tread into the americas a little bit with my own research perfect See? little bits so it works synergy it's like it's like we've been doing this for like what year and a half it's like Nothing we communicate like with each other at all i mean all we right. don't that's like half the shtick <laughs> but it works out all right so now i'm gonna be a responsible adult and Pull up my research so I can let you know where I found this information. And I cannot believe I have so many sources and my notes are so short. Same, <laughs> just, same bro. Fine. So from bibleinterp.arizona.edu. I have the article, The Serpent in the Garden of Eden and its Background. Okay. Um, from religionnews.com, I have, quote, Theologian says Jesus was a trickster, but it's not as offensive as you think. No, I love that. I am here for this interpretation, especially given some of the research that I did. Yes, I have a paper from the... Uh, Mythopocic 
at the POSIC Society called Devil Trickster and Fool. Oh, Fool, I F-O-O-L. I may have downloaded that article. <laughs> I have. I, it, but I think I downloaded uh, it. When Satan Was a Trickster by Michael Austin. And the Wikipedia article for Foolishness for Christ. Okay. Um, and we will get to that later. I'm here for this. All right. So first and foremost, in the beginning, the first figure that comes to mind is when you think of trickster style characters um, in the Bible, you think of the serpent in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, correct? Okay. Uh, Just I, me? Yeah. Actually, yes, because I don't know why my brain has decided that Moses is a trickster figure. I could probably make some arguments on it. I read an article, I don't touch on it much here, that argued that Jacob was a trickster figure for how he manipulated yeah, okay. his brother. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Anywho. Can you tell that we had Catholic educations growing up? Many, many years. So classic story played out over and over in Western mythology. Western mythology. Yeah, I guess. Western yeah. mythology, Western literature is what I think I meant to write in my notes. This is okay. I was sober when I wrote these notes too. This You're is sober right now. It's me who's the drunkie. We've already established. Ooh. All right. So the serpent slides up to Eve and says, uh, hey, uh, What's that God up there hiding from you in that tree of knowledge? I bet it won't even hurt you. Probably tastes good. Go on. Totally fine. Totally Try fine. Uh, Eve tries it, gains the knowledge of right and wrong, uh, becomes ashamed of nakedness. Lots of terrible things get bestowed upon humanity, specifically women, yep. um, which is great. And the serpent uh, also doesn't get off easy there. Serpent ends up uh being stuck slithering on its belly and having really the ability cute. i love snakes me too snakes i love animal friends snakes. and that is specifically for my mother-in-law snakes are animal friends martha i know you listen to this <laughs> no uh one of the things that i i really liked when i first started dating my now husband was his pet ball python Sir Lancelot, when we first started him. dating. Sir Lancelot lived a nice life. He was my husband's bar mitzvah present. Um, he is no longer with us. But he was a good boy. Yeah, I, I remember him. As much as snakes can be good or bad. Not very um, good boys. Anywho, okay, back to this. Serpent was... Uh, oh my god. I have my notes right in front of me. Serpent was damned to be able to be crushed under the foot of woman's children. Yes. From here until Judgment Day. So why do we think he's a trickster? Um, so if you look back to how we define trickster figures in earlier episodes, trickster figures are cunning forces of chaos who often bring gifts and vital knowledge to humanity. Um, sound familiar? Yes. With that story. A little bit. And note, because this is where Amanda goes off on a tangent, that I keep saying the serpent. Mm -hmm. I am not saying Satan. I'm not saying mm -hmm. Lucifer. I'm not saying the devil. 
So in certain translations, the serpent in the book of Genesis is referred to as, quote, the most clever of all the beasts of the field that God has made. Okay. Nowhere in Genesis is the serpent referenced as Satan. That's Milton who did that one, right? Or am I saying, or was he building on an earlier tradition? He was building on an earlier tradition, but not that much earlier. Um, you could even argue that he was building off contemporary ideas of his time. Gotcha. Um, so, in fact, while there are individuals referenced as, quote, the Satan in the Hebrew Bible, which we can translate as the accuser or the adversary, that's really more of a job description. Yeah. Um, like this title was used for evil and celestial beings alike. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you look at the various appearances of the Satan uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible, these individuals' job is to point out the unworthiness of mankind. Um, in fact, to quote biblicalarchaeology.org, you can think of, quote, the accuser as God's lead prosecutor. I, I've been watching <laughs> too much Ace Attorney. <laughs> so Amazing. I'm having some problems. No, us never. So that's just a little bit that I have on Satan. Again, I saw little bits here and there uh, in my research about Jacob as a trickster figure. Uh, you see the accuser show up in the story of Job. Um, again, if you read that story more within the context of the time, from what I can tell from my research, biblical scholars don't come for me. You're not listening to this podcast anyway. It's fine. Um, again, it's not an evil figure necessarily. It is yeah. a figure trying to prove to God that humanity is unworthy and that even the most devout person will fail. Yes. Got it. Um, which I just thought was really interesting. That is really cool. Uh, you also see Satan as we think of Satan now as a trickster figure in the 40 days. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. So again, you have a figure who is presenting various, I guess, paths forward mm -hmm. to Jesus, tempting him away from all that is good. And it can be argued that that temptation was a necessary part of a, I, I guess, Jesus's character arc. Yeah, his, his formation, his acceptance of his role. God, yes. That's it. The yeah. hero's journey. Yeah, okay. And no. <laughs> the I'm acceptance of right the <laughs> Yep. I'm stopping right now. <sighs> I was thinking more Dark Knight of the Soul, but, but that's really more Gethsemane. Yeah. So going back to that article that we both found very interesting, the theologian says Jesus was a trickster. This theologian, um, where is his name? 
Peter Rollins states that Christianity is like a magic act with three parts. Okay. The pledge, the turn, the prestige. Ooh. So if you weren't a giant nerd in the early 2000s and you didn't see the wonderful movie, The Prestige, uh, the pledge is the presentation of an object in a magic trick. The turn is where the object vanishes before the eyes of the audience. And the prestige is when it returns. And that is where the real magic is. When you think of the Christianity story, you know, you think of the gospel story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The magic trick is I, the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down and I am digging it. Indeed, historians think it is likely that the term hocus pocus is a parody of what a priest would say during mass. God damn. Okay. Yep. When Sorry. uttering the Latin words hoc est copus. Um, yep. Mm -hmm. So, like the disappearing act, the Eucharist is composed of three steps. First, the pledge, the bread and wine. Yep. Then, the turn, we consume the bread and wine. Then, the prestige, where we, I say we, where Christians, specifically Catholics, realize that sacredness and goodness has returned to the physical body via this act. Yeah. Um, which I love. And I really liked this idea of Jesus as a trickster figure in this article. You know, they point out that tricksters are revolutionary figures who challenge the natural order around them. Yeah. Um, now, you know, they're poking holes in societal norms. Uh, and with the classic gospel Jesus, um, not supply-side Jesus, Republicans, you have a trickster figure who respects the beliefs of the common man of the time, but questions them and challenges them for the sake of not just religious transformation, but political transformation as well. Uh, remember, Jesus was a socialist rebel. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I am getting so, so boxy. No, it's fine. I, I had a, a theology class in high school that was very much in this vein, and it was a game changer for 16-year-old me. Mm-hmm. When, you know... I don't remember which Davis it was because I had both of them and they both taught theology at Assumption. But one of the Davises. Wait, you had two Davises who taught theology? We had A Davis and J Davis. K Davis and D Davis. I think it was D Davis who was like, no, Jesus was a partier. Jesus was a hippie. Jesus was a rebel. Is Jesus that an archdiocesan requirement? That at least two theology teachers in a high school are have the last name Davis. Um, I will I will check with my sister's boyfriend who teaches at one of the all boys schools to see if this trend <laughs> is continuing. Maybe it's just a girl school thing. I don't know. I don't know. 
I had a Davis twice. Um, and I had each of the Davises once and one of them didn't like me because I was a pedantic shit. What a you? surprise. No. I had a lot of teachers who probably found me very frustrating in high school because I had I had realized I was clever. I hadn't realized how to be kind. I don't think anyone realizes how to be particularly kind until after high school. Um, More than likely. Controversial than likely. statement. I'm going to stand by it. Yes. I had figured out clever. I had not yet figured out kind. Anywho. I just thought that was a really interesting way that. to look at that. Oh, I love that. Um, so you now could, you could also put that whole, here's the pledge, here's the prestige, here's our pledge, whatever turn. the middle step is, turn prestige, sorry, with the story of the resurrection. Yep. You've got, you know, here's this dude, oh, dude's dead, oh shit, he back. <sighs> I am not a theologian. I only went to Catholic schools for 16 years. Good times. Uh, so now in doing this research, I also stumbled across some slightly more modern style of uh, trickster archetype, just ever oh. so slightly, uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay. So there you have the Holy Fool. I do not um, know this figure related to foolishness for Christ. So the holy fool is one who acts intentionally foolish in the eyes of men. Um, the behavior is caused neither by mistake nor feeble-mindedness, but as a deliberate, irritating, uh, provocative action to get those around you to re-examine their outlook, their approach to life. Okay, all right. And the Eastern Orthodox Church, or, oh my God, I cannot talk. The Eastern Orthodox Church holds that holy fools voluntarily take up the guise of insanity in order to conceal their perfection from the world. Interesting. Thus avoiding praise during their lifetimes. Okay, uh, okay. And if you look at that article and you start to dig deeper, there are several, you know, Eastern Orthodox Church, you have your icons. Mm -hmm. um, several of the well-known, I guess you would say saints, are these fools for Christ. Huh, okay. I almost accidentally set myself on fire at North Eastern Orthodox Church once. Don't do that. It wasn't on purpose. I wanted to see the icon better. And there was a table full of votive candles. And I and have boobs. And so this is, or I guess, Eastern Orthodox um, tradition points to prophets in the Old Testament okay. as examples of fools. Um, you have Isaiah who walked naked and barefoot for three years. You have Ezekiel just laying down in front of a stone because why not? Whatever works, bro. You have Hosea who married a uh, prostitute to symbolize the infidelity of Israel before God, which like my good buddy, 
find a way that doesn't uh, bring your wife into things. Yeah. Talk about this. Let's respect sex workers. They deserve our respect. They are working. Um, So again, a little stilted and all over the place bit of research this time and much shorter than I usually go. But um, this year has not been a kind year (laughs) to me or my family so far. So this is what I was able to pull together. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess. Oh, geez. I guess that means it's my turn. It is. Shit. Uh, all right. So for reference, I am pulling from LitHub. Had a really interesting article on specifically literary t- tricksters, but I did pull from the intro from that article. Uh, quite a lot of Wikipedia. And then, hey, oh, spoilers on who I'm going to be talking about. I read C. Vexy's The Exception Who Proves the Rules, Anansi the Econtrickster from the Journal of Religion Africa, and Emily Zobel Marshall's Nothing But Pleasant Memories of the Discipline of Slavery, The Trickster and the Dynamics of Racial Representation. Oh. Fascinating article. Loved it. Uh, Highly recommend reading that one if you have JSTOR access. Which... Again, reminder, check your local libraries. You yes. just might. All right. So um, just in general, one of my enduring favorite character archetypes has always been the trickster. I am a sucker for the clever thieves with hearts of gold, the cunning foxes, the sly spiders, and bold monkeys of fiction and mythology. And like, I'm not advocating for people to go out and becoming thieves. I have had my shit stolen. And while it makes for a very funny story after the fact, it was kind of traumatic to live yeah. through. So, like, don't steal shit if you can avoid it. Big controversial take there. Uh, but in all, they do tend to be my favorite char- character archetypes. Uh, so I had a lot of fun. And this brought back some, like, core memories of my childhood. Ooh, fun. Um, so... As Seth Fried's LitHub article elaborates, tricksters are an endlessly appealing archetype. Uh, To quote the introduction of his article, in literature and myth, tricksters are powerful figures. They're clever. Their lack of reverence for the status quo makes them dangerous to those empowered by societal norms. And their shamelessness is often a clarifying antidote to internalized oppression. Uh Yeah. I like that. It was really good. So, um... A lot of the mythological creatures that I have talked about before have fallen into this trickster archetypes. You know, we've got the fox spirits of Japan, Korea, and China. Uh, you will remember Hermes, who I talked about in his weird Hermanubis form. God, that is such an awful name. <laughs> I will it never be over that. It makes me happy every time. I hate it. Uh, because in addition to being a psychopomp, Hermes is also the god of thieves and a trickster himself. Uh, right. he, invented, he invented lying. He taught Autolycus to lie, who taught Odysseus to lie. And it's all been downhill from there. Yeah, of course they taught men to lie first. Bastards. Well, yeah, because women can figure it out on their own. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, now that I've kind of gone over that a little bit, I want to talk about one of my absolute favorite tricksters in all of mythology. 
Uh, I first heard stories of him as a child at library story time and in grade school. Uh, despite my school's many faults, one of the things they did very well was instill a love of world cultures in me. And in first grade, my class learned about Ghana. So that is where I first heard the stories of Anansi the Spider from Ashanti Folklore. And Love I it. loved Clever Anansi and his audacity, which is kind of funny because I'm really afraid of spiders. Oh, I can't stand them, but I still, like, I can see those storybooks. Right? From when we were in so first vivid. and second grade. Um, yeah, so there are loads and loads and loads of stories about Anansi, which is very fitting because in addition to being a trickster, he is also the god of stories, wisdom, and knowledge. Uh, and I had actually planned on summing up at least one of his stories, but while I was doing some research in uh, Chris Fexie's article that I cited earlier, uh, he says, anyone can tell stories of Anansi, although only at night or at a ceremonial occasion, for example, at the funeral of a respected storyteller. Uh, so I want to honor the spirit of those beliefs because I don't know when people are going to be listening to this. So I'll save it for another time. Well, and honestly, even if... It wasn't, even if people from, yeah, the stories no, are open. It's on. This is really cool. Please cut the all of that. Good. The stories are totally open. There's nothing wrong with me retelling my favorite stories, but I liked that, like, oh, you should only be telling them at night or at a special occasion. And I can respect mm -hmm. that. Um, so there are a wide variety of Ashanti stories of Anansi that have been recorded. Uh, but I think it's really important to note and really relevant to note that his stories continued into the African diaspora because of the transatlantic slave trade. Anansi is a popular character across the West Indies, especially in Jamaica, uh, because that had the largest population of enslaved peoples from the Akan and Ashanti cultures. Uh, and in fact, some of the earliest recorded stories of Anansi from the West Indies come from that period right after the abolition of slavery because get this white folklorists at it again white women were worried that the stories would be lost um this does mean that those records are not um, devoid of some biases no oh moralistic christian literature will we never be free of you <laughs> No, no, I just spent, what, 15 minutes on it? Right? Uh, anyway, surprise, surprise, it took white folklorists an excruciatingly long time to realize that there's actually a lot of commentary encoded into the stories that enslaved peoples told about Anansi. As you will recall, contemporary research indicates that tricksters are an invaluable tool to deal with oppression. Yep. Yeah, uh, the article that I learned most of this in actually compared the stories of Anansi and how they have endured to the stories of Br'er Rabbit, which, while we're familiar with them, are not as widely told. And some of that has to do with how those stories were uh, collected. Yes, I, I am like a light dusting of familiarity uh, with the problems behind the man who set out to collect he was one of many um and the big 
One of the real differences, very interestingly, was he did consider himself a folklorist. This was a folkloric endeavor. This was supposed to be very scholarly. Whereas in, especially Jamaica, because so many of the people spearheading collecting these stories were women, it was seen as art and frivolous. Mm -hmm. There was a woman in the United States who was instrumental in collecting a lot of stories from enslaved peoples after they gained their freedom. And I will give this woman credit because her whole shtick was, this needs to be collected. We cannot lose this, but it cannot be white people who collect this. Interesting. We okay. have educated black people go and collect their own people's stories. Uh, and the, the efforts lasted for something like seven years. Which, like, the fact that that got off the ground at all is amazing. Yeah. It, it's super cool. Um, another fun fact about Anansi, just to kind of, like, go back a little bit, is, um, like many other tricksters, like Loki, for example, Anansi's gender can be somewhat fluid. Uh, often he's depicted as male, but in some places, especially amongst the Gullah people in South Carolina, Anansi is better known as Aunt Nancy. And is I an extremely have, powerful woman. I have heard these these yes. stories before. Yeah. Do you remember? I thought for a long time I had hallucinated the show, but Gullah Gullah Island. Yeah. I thought I had hallucinated that show for a really long time, but it's actually a really good intro to Gullah Geechee culture. Oh, my little brother Matt was obsessed with that show. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. I definitely thought I had hallucinated it, like so many other things. It's where I learned the word polywog. <laughs> binya binya. Mm -hmm. All right. And also, because I am me, and I am completely incapable of focusing on one thing, I'm going to pull in the Monkey King, because... I somehow didn't realize that he counts as a trickster figure until he showed up on Wikipedia's trickster page. I don't know how I didn't realize this. Because it makes perfect sense. It does. It does. Um, I love Journey to the West in all its various iterations. So the second time we went to visit my in-laws when they lived in China, we got to go to Yangshou, which was stunning. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we went to a cave that, according to local history, was a cave that was involved in the Journey to the West story. Nice. And it was the most touristy thing that I have I ever seen in my it. life. You could get your it. picture taken with someone dressed up as the Monkey King. Uh, Would you like the painting opera? Yeah. Oh, I love those and costumes. And there were like light installations by different, I don't think naturally occurring uh, bits of cave architecture to look like bits and pieces of the story. Um, I didn't get as much out of it as I would have liked to because it was 100% Mandarin. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. our tour guide could only sum up so much um, because there just wasn't time as we. Yeah moved through. Um, also, side note, I forget that living in Kentucky, 
we have access to some big old caves. Yeah, so we do. When our tour guide was like, this cave is massive. It's it's intense. Like just be ready for it. And and he was really selling it. And it was just I only had to go down one set of stairs. It only took us an hour to walk through. Damn. For people who aren't full up on their national parks, we live in the same state as Mammoth Cave, which is the largest cave system in the world. Shout out to those Mercy Girls who helped with some of the mapping. Yeah. Gotta gotta represent our, our all-girl Catholic high schools. That neither of us went to. Nope. <laughs> but my uncle taught there, so. Oh, I shadowed there. Me too. But Assumption was down the street from me, so. Uh, anyway, any hoozles. So, Monkey King, love him. Uh, in Mandarin, he is most commonly known as Sun Wukong. And because I consume a lot of East Asian media, I am also familiar with the Korean and Japanese transliterations of his name, which are Sonogong and Son Goku, respectively. Hugely popular figure in media, especially in East and Southeast Asia. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of speculation about where Wu Chang'un, the author of Journey to the West, drew his inspiration for Sun Wukong. Some of the theories are that he may have been drawing upon worship of gibbons and other monkeys that was prevalent in some regions and time periods in China. Okay. There is also an argument that he was inspired by India's Hanuman. Uh, but this is shaky at best. Uh, there is no clear-cut evidence that stories of Hanuman would have been available in Chinese at that time. Uh, regardless, story of Sun Wukong, born from a stone, made himself king of the monkeys, then embarked on some truly outrageous adventures, growing ever more powerful, until he got slapped down to size by the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, he eventually learned to chill, kind of, sort of. Uh, he becomes a disciple of the monk Sanjang, whose duty it was to travel to India to bring back the sacred scriptures to China. Sanjang is kind of a wet blanket, and demons want to eat him for immortality purposes. Sun Wukong has his work cut out for him. And over the course of his journey, he actually embraces Buddhism and becomes an enlightened being, which essentially gave him everything he was looking for in his quest for power pre-traveling with Sanjang. <laughs> Funny so, how that works. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I have zero chill when it comes to adaptation of the Journey to the West. And if given the opportunity, I can and will corner you to talk about it ad nauseum. Yes, just you talking right now. I have songs from that soundtrack that you had me listen to. You're welcome. Like, uh, anyway, listeners. Gosh, over a decade ago. Yeah, more than, more than. I I lost the the MP3s. That, that was, they were on my iPod that was in my car when my car got stolen. No. Like, I really hope whoever ended up with my iPod really likes J-pop and musicals, because that's mostly what they got. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, hey, listeners, what, if any, adaptation of uh, Journey of the West do you love best? Who's your favorite character, and why is it Sun Wukong? <laughs> if it's not, we might have to have a conversation. A very nice one. Objection. Leading the witness. No regrets. <laughs> oh, well, that's uh, my segment anyway. So, I don't have problems. I'm fine. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this. Uh, my 
goodness, just chaos personified episode. Um, we we really appreciate everyone who listens. Every episode, sure you guys do. are the best. Um, and again, sorry for my inability to think or speak. Uh, again, been been a hell of a year so far, and it's March twenty third as we record this. So, hey guys, you'll be able to tell just how much we procrastinated on recording this episode. Hey, <laughs> spoiler just for people who actually listened this far. Oh Lord. Okay. All right. Well, that is everything. We will. Oh, oh my gosh. We forgot to. So if you guys aren't on social media, we are doing a, an email list drive. Yes. Um, so for every 50 new signups we get to our email list before the end of April, we will draw a name and you'll get coffee beans and graveyard coffee talk stickers and a mug and yes. it'll be great. You'll so, also get our eternal gratitude for signing up because I want to, I want to make a newsletter guys. I really like making <laughs> newsletters because it's what I do for my job. Give me a reason to write another newsletter. I almost said newsletter, and I'm like, that's not right. I believe you can sign up on our website. Yes, there are links on our website. If you do follow us on social media, those links are in our bio. Uh, We are currently on Twitter and Instagram. Those things may change. One of the reasons we're doing this is because Twitter has more or less shot the bed at this point. And we don't want to lose you guys. We want to be able to communicate with you. Yeah. And the best way for us to do that is with a mailing list. Because so, we don't have to worry about that going under. We, we, we got y'all's info forever. Unless you tell me not to ma- mail you anymore, in which case I won't, because I follow spam laws. <laughs> Good. Good wrap up there. Um, and, you know, you might win coffee beans and some swag. Yeah. That really is, for real, everything now. So, uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. About two years later, the storm is gone. They say she's up there on the hill.